If you have your Bibles and would like to follow along, our New Testament scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now is touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it, as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat, or are we the better, neither if we eat not, are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee, which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend... I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May God bless his word as it has been read and now as it is preached unto us. My text this Lord's Day is found in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 21. There we read the following words. To have respect of persons is not good, for for a piece of bread that man will transgress. Why are you partial to certain people? Note that I did not ask if you were partial to certain people, but rather assumed that you are partial to certain people. For we all show partiality to people, and I would add that we necessarily and rightly do so at times. I show partiality to my wife over other women in the way that I treat her. 
I show partiality to my children in the way I care for them. I show partiality to the members of this church in the degree of fellowship I share with them. I show partiality to the triune God in the way I trust Him, the way I love Him, and in the way I obey Him. Furthermore, it would be a grievous sin on our parts not to make a distinction between a liar and a faithful witness on the pretense that we cannot show partiality in that sense or not make a difference between an idolater and a faithful worshiper of the one true living God. Dear ones, partiality in this sense which I speak is not wrong. In fact, it is morally required if we would serve and worship the Lord faithfully. For we are to show our approval of that which is righteous and our disapproval of that which is wicked. We must show a partiality to those who are godly over those who are ungodly. Otherwise, we would find ourselves in the absurd and wicked position of rejoicing not only in the truth, but also rejoicing in error. And rejoicing not only in those who embrace the truth, but in those who embrace error. The Apostle Paul, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sets matters straight when he says that the love of God within us rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. 1 Corinthians 13.6 So we see we are to show, in this sense, a partiality to truth over error and to righteousness over wickedness. There is, however, a partiality which is an abomination to the Lord, as we shall see. This Lord's Day, we will be looking more closely at the subject of partiality as revealed in Proverbs 28, verse 21. Let us consider together, therefore, the following two main points from our text. First of all, partiality is condemned. And second, partiality has a price. Our first main point then, partiality is condemned. Listen to God's evaluation of partiality. To have respect of persons is not good, according to Solomon, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Proverbs 28.21. Literally, Solomon says... To regard faces is not good. That is, to regard the outward appearance of a person is not good. What is God through Solomon condemning in this verse when he says to regard faces is not good? Well, first of all, God is not condemning our appreciation of the natural beauty of the face of a child, of a man, or of a woman. It is not lustful or sinful merely to confess that is a handsome man or that is a beautiful woman any more than it is sinful to confess that is a beautiful child or that is a beautiful sunset. Since God is man's creator and the creator of all that is beautiful, the face of a man, woman, or child reveals the glory of God in its usefulness and in its beauty. Even covered parts of the body 
are beautiful, but they are intended only for the eyes of those who are united together in marriage. And therefore our thoughts and desires carry us beyond an appreciation of the natural beauty of the face of a man or a woman to whom we are not married. The desire to be with them in intimate situations, we have clearly crossed over the line into sinful lust. So God is not condemning our appreciation of the natural beauty of the face when we are told not to show regard to the face of a person. Secondly, God is not condemning a particular love which we have for family members over non-family members, as we noted earlier in the sermon. God, in fact, says we should especially care for family members, whether natural or spiritual, when he says through the Apostle Paul, that if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel or unbeliever. 1 Timothy 5.8 Thirdly, God is not condemning or showing disregard for our preferential joy for those thoughts, words, and actions in the lives of those that are holy over those who are evil. And we noted this earlier as well. Well, what is God saying? God, in Proverbs 28, verse 21, is saying that he condemns all partiality wherein we disregard the truth of God, or wherein we ignore or neglect the commandments of the Lord in order to give preference to the face or countenance of a person. Whenever who a person is becomes more important to us than the truth and the righteousness of God, as revealed in the Holy Word, we have fallen into the sinful partiality that is herein condemned by God in Proverbs 28, verse 21. Listen to the explanation of Matthew Henry in his commentary on Proverbs 28, 21, wherein he states that sinful parti partiality is, and I quote, to consider the parties concerned more than the merits of the cause, so as to favor one because he is a gentleman, a scholar, my countryman, my old acquaintance, has formerly done me a kindness, or may do me one, or is of my party and persuasion, and to bear hard on the other party because he is a stranger, a poor man, has done me an ill turn, is or has been my rival, or is not of my mind, or has voted against me. It is in effect to cast behind us the truth of God and to merely look upon the countenance of man and the advantages that will fall our way by countenancing the face of man. Dear ones, sinful partiality takes our eyes off of the law of God as the righteous standard of our thoughts, words, and deeds, and places our eyes 
merely upon the relationship another person bears to us. The importance of the status of another person or the approval we will receive from others or the advantage or benefits that we will gain from others. Sinful partiality, dear ones, is to make decisions on the basis of outward appearance, outward relationships, and outward advantages rather than upon the basis of God's truth as revealed in his holy word. That's partiality. That's prejudice. That's favoritism. Well, let's consider various illustrations of sinful partiality. And I'm going to give a number of different illustrations, ways in which this can be applied in, in our various circumstances of life. When judges disregard the law of God and look rather to the standards established by man or look to the esteem and applause that they will receive from a sinful nation or some advantage, some material advantage that will accrue to them, they have exhibited sinful partiality. To disregard the first and second commandments and rather to prefer false religion and idolatry within this nation is sinful partiality. To disregard the fourth commandment and rather prefer Sabbath breaking within this nation is sinful partiality. <clears throat> to disregard the seventh commandment and rather to prefer adultery, incest, pornography, or sodomy is sinful partiality. This is the first way in which we ought to understand the context of Proverbs 28:21. It primarily deals with judges who are to judge according to righteousness and not according to appearances, to judge according to truth and not according to man's standards. For every time a judge rules in favor of that which is wicked, he also rules against God and against his law. For there is no neutrality. You can't simply make a wicked decision, an evil decision, and say, but I wasn't speaking against God. I didn't say anything against God by making this particular decision. He rules either for God or against God. He shows partiality to that which is lawless or to that which is lawful. Consider the following verse in this regard. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 16, where judges are specifically addressed in this regard. Here we find Moses charging the judges in Israel. And I charge your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment. Hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you 
bring it unto me and I will hear it. You may also, we won't look these up, but if you wanted to write these in your notes that you are taking, you can also consult Psalm 82, verses 2 through 4. Likewise, Proverbs 18, 5. And Proverbs 24, verse 23. Examples of this in the scriptures. Judges ruled by sinful partiality in condemning Naboth, you'll recall, whose vineyard king Ahab desperately wanted and coveted. And so false charges of blasphemy were brought against Naboth. And he was murdered on the basis of those false charges. Sinful partiality. We see it especially in the condemnation of Christ. There was something to be gained on the part of the Pharisees, on the part of those Jewish religious leaders, in putting Christ to death. And... And so, on the basis of sinful partiality, false and accusations, again, were brought against the Lord Jesus Christ. The same happened to the apostles and have happened throughout the ages to those who have stood fearlessly for the truth of Jesus Christ. Sinful partiality on the part of judges has been brought against the righteous time and time again. A second illustration is this. When politicians seek to win an office or to hold an office based upon popular opinion polls or, or are led by special interest groups who contribute vast amounts of money to their campaign or wield much influence over voters or make promises that they cannot and do not intend to keep rather than standing fearlessly for the truth, they are condemned here by God for sinful partiality as well. They are being ruled by the countenance and the face of man than rather than by the truth of God. When A third illustration. When church officers make decisions on the basis of what will keep the people coming in or on the basis of what will keep the money coming in, rather than on the basis of what is agreeable to the word of God, again, they show sinful partiality. They regard the face of man. One of the sinful abuses condemned by our spiritual forefathers in the Second Reformation was the abuse in the Romanist and Episcopal Episcopal systems of church government wherein was the tendency to move one up this hierarchical ladder within the church based upon favors shown. You do me a favor, and I'll do you a favor. I'll move you up the ladder quicker. And so this was a great abuse within the church, which was condemned, showing partiality and giving church offices to men who did not belong there, who were not qualified to be there, giving it as a favor, as a bribe. We find the false prophets and false prophetesses in Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 19, condemned as well. 
here we read concerning these And will ye pollute me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread to slay the souls that should not die and to save the souls alive that should not live by your lying to my people that hear your lies? And so these false prophets told lies in the name of God in order to have a more comfortable life, to have their mouths full in order to attain a certain level of comfort in this world. They spoke lies in the name of God. And dear ones, church leaders who turn to entertainment and showmanship, and again, all in the name of God, in order to have the comforts, the honor, the applause of men that they so much desire in this life, have turned to show sinful partiality and to countenance the face of men in all that they do. They have their reward in this life for showing such sinful partiality and complete disregard of God's commandments and the regulative principle of worship. Another example. When fellow employees at work ask you to turn your head the other direction, look the other way, while they steal and rob from their employer, whether by way of hours that they have worked or whether by way of material substance of some kind at the workplace. You are placed in a position as to whether you will show sinful partiality to the wicked and rule according to the countenance and the face of men, or whether you'll rule by those impartial principles laid down in God's word. Or when you take advantage of a client, say you are the employer, you are self-employed, you take advantage of a client in not performing what you said you would do, you too fall into the sin of partiality. You've countenanced your own face. You've given preference to your own face over the righteousness of God in such cases. I had mentioned earlier that there is a sense in which we ought to have a lawful partiality toward our family members and loving and caring for them in a way that we do not for others who are outside the family. However, it is not a lawful partiality, but an unlawful partiality when we disregard the law of God in overlooking conspicuous sins or even in justifying their sins because they are family. Nor can we lie to others for a family member simply because they are family. That is not love of a family member or love for a family member but that dear ones is worship of a family member it is to place them in a higher place than God himself it is in effect to make a family member the Lord our God when we are willing to lie for them it is to show a sinful partiality 
another example. When young people, you young people, when you cave in to the pressure of friends to do that which is evil, and contrary to the revealed will of God in Scripture so that you will fit in with them, or so that you will be cool, or so that you will be liked, or so that you will have a girlfriend, or so that you will have a boyfriend, you too have shown that you have a sinful partiality, for you have regarded the face of man over the face of God. Remember what happened to Samson when he regarded the face of a woman, Delilah, over the face of God. He became weak and vulnerable and fell under the heavy, severe, chastening hand of God. I'm sure you will think of many other illustrations in which we may sinfully show regard to the countenance of man over the countenance of God in our hearts, words, and actions. But God says it is not good in Proverbs 28:21, and says even more than this in Proverbs 17:15. He says in Proverbs 17:15, "He that justifieth the wicked." And he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. To countenance the wicked and to discountenance the just and the righteous is an abomination to the Lord. It's not only not good, it's an abomination. The sin of showing a regard to the face of people, I would also add condemns racial slavery, condemns the racial slavery that was once practiced in this nation and once written into the constitution of this nation. For to hate, to despise, to mistreat, to deny basic human rights or to enslave a person based merely upon the color of his skin or to enslave a person based merely upon his ethnic background, is to exhibit a sinful partiality as well. It is not the color of one's skin or the ethnic background that is evil, for God himself has made us to differ as to color and to ethnic background. These distinctions are not contrary to the revealed will of God. What, however, is to be despised in all people, including ourselves, is the corruption and the sin of man. Thus, when we speak against the sin of sodomy, there should be no hate crime for doing so. Any more than speaking against the sin of adultery, or the sin of idolatry, or the sin of murder, or the sin of theft. Do we hate such sins? Yes, we must hate such sins. Whether they're found in ourselves or found in others, we must hate such sins. For we cannot love such sins and love God and His righteousness at the same time. What God proclaims to all sinners is not love for their sins, but forgiveness of all their sins through faith alone in Jesus Christ. 
Well, having considered God's condemnation of sinful partiality, let us now turn briefly to our second main point. Partiality as a price. Our text in Proverbs 28, verse 21 says, For for a piece of bread that man will transgress. Now that's not a misprint when you see the word for printed twice. The first for is used as a conjunction and the second for is used as a preposition. In other words, the translators might have said because for a piece of bread that man will transgress. Here, dear ones, we see the consequences of partiality. It leads one to sell his own soul in order to gain some advantage for himself or herself. At first, he's only willing to sell a soul for a very high price. But once our souls are for sale, even if, even if at, a, at first it was only for a high price, eventually God says, we will be willing to sell them at any price, even for a piece of bread. For our soul, dear ones, eventually becomes no more important to us than what creature, whatever creature, creaturely comforts we may enjoy at the expense of our soul. But Christ says, our souls are most valuable and we are fools if we think we can give anything in this life in exchange for them. Jesus said, you'll recall, for what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? Beware, dear ones. Beware, for you know not where your compromises with the truth and your sinful partiality will lead you. To what extent they will take you. It will eventually lead you to the place that you're willing to compromise the truth for a mere piece of bread. And don't think that this only happens to the weak, to powerless men, for Solomon uses a word for man here in Proverbs 28, 21, when he says, for a piece of bread that man will transgress. The word that's used here for man comes from the word for strong or powerful. In other words, it is the strong and powerful man, even a man like Samson, who will find himself selling his soul for a piece of bread in order to gain some advantage for himself, if he is not careful. Don't view yourself, therefore, as beyond falling into this pit. It can happen to you and it can happen to me. This is a warning against all sinful pride that would boast of being invulnerable to such consequences. See, God says, be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Galatians 6, 7. Well, let me ask you, why is the partiality found in Proverbs 28, 21 condemned by God? Let me give you four reasons. First of all, and most importantly, because this partiality is contrary to the holy nature 
of God himself. God himself hates this sinful partiality. Such partiality is not a part of God's holy character. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, clearly states, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. We do not despise people because they're strangers or because of their social circumstances, or the color of their skin. God is impartial as to his own character. A second reason why we should see this partiality is condemned by God, because, secondly, This partiality forsakes the truth in order to gain some advantage for self. It accepts bribes or gives bribes. Some kind of payment is given or received in token for an exchange for some advantage to oneself. You see, it is a man-centered ethical system rather than a God-centered ethical system. It is selfish. It is based on what I can get out of this, rather than what is selfless and pleases God. And very often, one seeks to justify such partiality, such sinful partiality, even using God's name, even using God's name, or with such using trying to put forth godly motives and intentions. Dear ones, all such partiality, sinful partiality, even adds hypocrisy when we invoke the name of God and why we make a decision or when we justify our sin in some way. We add hypocrisy to our partiality. Thirdly, the sin is condemned by God because Dear ones, it leads one into bondage. It leads one into bondage from which he will not escape without severe consequences. For a piece of bread, even a strong man will transgress. He's now in that state of bondage where he's willing to compromise the truth for the smallest little trifle, for the smallest little advantage that he will gain. It's become a habit. And fourthly, such partiality is condemned by God because it values earthly pleasure, earthly advantage, earthly riches, earthly honor, and earthly comfort more than one's eternal soul. What becomes all important in such a person's life is not where they will spend eternity. But what can I get here and now 
from this particular transaction, from this particular situation. That's what becomes all-encompassing. We live in the present. We forget entirely about the future of our souls. In conclusion, dear ones, I would give you two closing illustrations in which God shows to us his impartiality. God demonstrates his impartiality in that he has set his undeserved love upon particular sinners like you and me from all eternity and in time. For dear ones, God did not elect you or choose you nor call you because you were holy, because he saw anything within you that was good, anything within you that was favorable, anything that was honorable or loving. He chose you. He called you unto himself because he loved you and sovereignly and freely set his love upon you. Upon you and did not set his love upon others. That is showing impartiality because God did not see anything in you that would compel him to love you. He impartially loved you and cast his love thereupon to make you his very own. You see, we are all condemned sinners. In a sense, we are all the chief of sinners before a holy God and deserve his righteous wrath and eternal condemnation in hell. But God, out of his infinite mercy, set his love upon you and effectually called you, not because of what you could do for him, not because of anything in you, but because he loved you. One other illustration as we close. God also demonstrates his impartiality in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the ungodly and inviting all who hear the gospel to come unto him regardless of their condition, regardless of how many sins they have committed, regardless of their past hypocrisy, even if they are the chief of sinners. God says the qualification to coming to Him and receiving of His salvation which is offered is, first of all, are you one of this world? Are you a human being? Because this salvation is not offered to angels. And second of all, are you a sinner? Are you among the ungodly? Have you transgressed the law of God and deserve His eternal condemnation? If you are in those categories, God invites you to come to Him. And He promises that when you come to Jesus Christ alone for your eternal salvation, He will forgive all your sins. He will grant you a righteousness not like your own, a righteousness which is perfect the righteousness of Jesus Christ and will give you everlasting life. None are excluded 
from this offer. None who come will be excluded. Not even the most wicked amongst men will be excluded from this offer of salvation. From the oldest to the youngest, male or female, Jew or Gentile, whether they consider themselves to be a law keeper or a lawbreaker, all need Jesus Christ. And all without partiality are invited in the gospel of Jesus Christ to come to Christ without price, without any works on their part, without any qualifications on their part. Dear one, those of you who hear the gospel proclaimed today, do not ignore, do not neglect, nor despise this offer of salvation made by God who is without partiality. For to ignore, neglect, or despise this offer is to bring yourself under the eternal condemnation of a God who judges also without partiality. On that final day of judgment, it will not matter who we were were related to in this life. It will not matter what church we attended. It will not matter whether we were baptized or not. It will not matter all of the supposed good works that we performed, for they will all be worthless before a holy God, tainted and corrupted with our sin. For all our works will be judged according to the absolute righteousness of a holy God and found wanting because we stand not in the righteousness of Christ, but in our own righteousness. His is the only righteousness which will withstand that awesome and fearful day. Only the righteousness of Christ. Come now. Let us reason together. Let us reason together. Come. Do not ignore and neglect this offer, this impartial, this universal offer. Come and embrace by faith alone the Lord Jesus Christ as he is offered to you in the gospel. Let us stand together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee and praise Thee for Thy Word which does give to us such instruction Let us give to us, O Lord, a truth which, Lord, will not lead us astray, but will lead us, O Lord, unto Thee. We thank Thee that Thou hast, as our God, and as an impartial God, bestowed the glory of Thy salvation upon such sinners as we. And Father, we pray that such mercy and grace would drive us therefore to order our lives according to that same impartiality whereby, O Lord, we ourselves rule not according to the face of man, make decisions not according to the countenance of man, but, O Lord, we rule according to the righteousness of God in our lives hating and spurning all bribes and all payments that we would give or receive and walking only 
our God in those paths of righteousness and truth. Forgive us, O Lord, where we have erred, and we have all erred in various ways in showing sinful partiality. None of us are exempt from this sin, but, O Lord, our God, there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And we do come, O Lord, pleading that Thou would have mercy upon us, and that, Father, now having revealed to us the seriousness of this sin, that we would be aware of it, that we would shun it, that we would avoid it, that we would pray that it would be crucified in our lives. We ask our Lord and our God that Thou would would minister to those, Lord, who walk in these sins without repentance, that Thou would humble them, Thou would cause them Lord, to see the impartial and awesome judgment that awaits them unless they come to an impartial God who offers to them the gospel even now. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says 
that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.